0: Hey, welcome back to the Level Edit podcast, a games industry and game development podcast. Today we'll be speaking about narrative design, including world building and writing in games. So, how you can get started and what you can do to get involved with the industry. Uh, I'm one of your co hosts, Nida, and we have two other co hosts and two special guests today who do writing in games.
1: Hi, I'm one of the co hosts. Uh, I'm Colin. I do kind of software engineering with Unity and Unreal, and I also do a bit of game development in my free
2: time. I'm Dan. I'm an independent game developer. I'm uh, part of Maybe Later Games and I'm currently working on a narrative adventure project called Anachronist.
0: And we have two awesome guests joining us today.
3: I'm Emily. I'm a freelance writer. I actually work with Dan on uh, his game Rogue Quest with Mental Block Gaming. And I just uh, write screenplays on the site just for like a few random projects.
4: Hi, I'm Hannah. I'm um, a writer in my free time. I've been working with Dan on the Anachronist project. I graduated uh, from Warwick University a couple of years ago and I'm currently working as a submissions editor in London.
0: Awesome. So because you have two great guests today, it'd be great to know more about what you do and how you got involved in games and, like, I guess what projects you've been involved
4: in. Anachronist is actually my first big game writing project. So this really was my kind of my entry into this particular type of writing. My background is in fiction. I've got a um, sort of a lot of fiction short story uh, publications out there at the moment. I do quite a lot of writing competitions. A couple of years ago, I won the Junior Author International Short Story Award. Um, and then two years ago, I won the uh, Third Word Press's inaugural Great 80 competition. I also write a lot for magazines and uh, web web publications. I've been featured in Crimson Streets, in Writers' Forum, MASH Stories, Myths of the Near Future. And so video game writing is a very interesting departure from the stuff that I normally do.
3: Uh, Han kind of wipes the floor with me in the writing department, like she has all those (laughs) things she could say. Uh, I guess, um, yeah, the first thing I ever did was the, the project with Dan, the Rogue Quest game, which is like a Minecraft map. And uh, but with cutscenes, scenes, it was like a playable game, which is really cool. Yeah, video game writing is one of those things that it's actually quite hard to get into. Most people, you know, they get recommended via people they know. But it's one of those things you could do in your spare time to practice, which is kind of what I'm up to at the minute. So I'm typically I write um, screenplays for more traditional projects like you know TV and film. But uh, I dip it in and out now and then just to have a practice. Um, and I love playing games, so I feel like that's kind of a good way to study, you know, what's popular in the industry right now and stuff like that. The main thing about game writing is, is how collaborative it is compared to other writing projects. So Han, I, I imagine when you write like a, a story for like a, like a novel or a short story, it's completely your vision, which I mm-hmm. imagine is it's been quite different on the anachronist thing because you got to work with Dan and like work out how the mechanics are going to affect the gameplay as well.
4: Oh, yeah, that's um, been one of the biggest differences between the stuff I've done before and the stuff that I'm doing at the moment. And on one hand, it's quite difficult because the thing that's really good about fiction writing is you have 100% control over everything that you do. And you don't have to worry about what anybody else wants or anybody else's opinions on how you're doing it. But with game writing, because it's a collaborative medium, you have to remember that like there's another person who's bringing a whole different set of... Um, media communications into the product that you're making together like I'm you're not just communicating the story through the writing you're doing it through the art you're doing it through the player controls and sort of uh, and you have to kind of leave space in your writing for the player to kind of discover things by exploring rather than by you telling it to them and Dan working with Dan has been Kind of eye opening, sort of like to discover, sort of like the new things you can do, sort of with writing when you have somebody who's bringing this whole other um, way of communicating to the table. And um, it's also been quite good for just resolving problems because there's a, in, with writing a game, I found there's a lot of reverse engineering where like you have a great idea when most of the game is already written and then it's like, right, how on earth do we fit all this in then? The best solutions for problems that have come up that way are the ones. They're the ones that, like, I've come up with with Dan, when we're kind of just bouncing ideas off each other and sort of working it out together. So that's actually been it's actually been really useful and really interesting learning these new problem solving methods that you don't really get when you write something on your own.
3: Yeah, I think you, I think you've had a bit of a harder time than I had with the uh, project me and Dan Ed. It was um, so I just had to write uh cut scenes like I helped work out the the background story and like the characters but it was mainly just dialogue and uh I mean Dan even like organized the cut scenes like what would visually happen so I had like a super easy job on that project but um yeah from what I've from what I've heard from you you've you've had to do a lot more a lot lot more layering of the of the background and the and the catering to the mechanics while there is um world building I don't think we had such a In that project, I don't think the narrative was make or break. I think it was 100% on the uh, game mechanics and the designers. I think that was what made it so great. So I was just like a little garnish on the top. My stuff was just like a cherry on the cake as opposed to like the foundations.
2: Yeah, it was kind of different. Like, Like you said... The story was kind of an addition to what was already within the game, and the game would have been fine without the story when we were working on the RoadQuest project. They were cutscenes. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Crypto of the Necrodancer. Um, it was sort of inspired by the way their cutscenes work. So there's like four levels, and at the end of each level, you get a nice little cutscene, and it's not long at all. It's probably like 30, 40 seconds, but it's enough of an impetus that you really want to know what happens in the next chapter So it's kind of your drive to keep playing, even though it's not really where the fun derives from. Whereas with, you know, other projects, they are 100% based around the story, especially sort of um, interactive fiction or visual novels, those sort of games. um, You know, the story is the game kind of. And that's sort of what this other project is. So I think there's definitely different needs depending on different games. And I think that sort of contributes to the variety of writing that is required for games with you know uh, if you're doing film you're going to be expected to write a script and maybe there'll be a narrator at best if you have to like describe a scenario or something like that if you're doing uh, if you're writing a book or you know a novel then you're going to be expected to write some you know uh, areas of prose or descriptions and there might be conversations in between but it's not going to be you know solely script writing as it were um and i think with games you can't really know what to expect because all games are very different. And also, another difficult thing about that is gamers come in not necessarily knowing how much is story-based, unless it's you know a game that's completely focused on the story. Um, you know, you might get a little sprinkle of story here or a dash of story there, or you know, it might just be the whole thing is based around narrative and you know that is the the main focal point of the game. And in a lot of games, the writing isn't the the focus, which is what Hannah was saying about, you know, it's quite difficult because you've got to work around the game sometimes. And I find that writing is sometimes the first thing that not has to go, but the thing that has to bend around it because it's considered the easiest to change, you know, I think in a lot of ways it's not. But um, when you look at like code assets and art assets, sometimes it might take, A lot to change you know a pretty angel character into a demon character uh, if you had to like actually model both of those whereas with the writing you can kind of just say it is and I don't want to downplay the skill of writing at all because there is so much that goes into it There's, there's so much that you don't see every single line is labored over and you know it might be written three four times so I think that's another thing with working with writing just because you don't you don't see all the work you you see the f- magical final product but you don't actually see the process that it takes for people to get there.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of him. so there's a games writer called Greg Buchanan or Buchanan. I'm sorry if
2: I pronounce that wrong.
0: He's Buchanan. Um, so he's written for games like No Man's Sky, but he's generally a freelance writer. And he was saying like from his experience of game projects, what usually happens is he's called quite late into the process. So it's usually the point when the developers have, like, a game and then they're near the end and they're kind of like, well, we need to combine the narrative and the gameplay together now. Let's get a writer to make it more coherent. And he was saying how that could be quite problematic just because, you know, you need your story and your ideas later on. You can't just chuck it in. And it sounds like that's something Dan was saying, it's like, I think we forget how important writers can be. Um But I don't know. I guess over to you, Emily and Hannah. Like, When you've done games writing, what types of writing have you done? Is it more like script stuff?
3: Um, So currently I'm working on like interactive fiction, which is mainly kind of script stuff and dialogue and you play it through clicking, you know, different words in a, in a sentence. But I'm, I'm really beginner level at that. Like I imagine it could get more complicated than that, but I, I, way far away from that but um yeah so mainly just dialogue but the kind of um the kind of games i i love are narrative games where you can tell that the writer's been there from the beginning where every even though the mechanics are you know the thing that drives the game that's what the that's what the player is playing the game for the story is established from the beginning the characters are established right at the beginning so you care about them and I just feel like you can have a game without any dialogue if if you establish a a, a theme, even you know, just to the art of the of the game and the um, even just a color palette can have a massive difference on the experience of the player and help contribute to a story that isn't necessarily dialogue based. Would you agree, Hen?
4: Yeah, I would. I feel like with uh, with writing a game, sort of like the quality of Good writing, which particularly shows um, in um, when, when, when you're crafting a narrative for a game is that sense of cohesion that Nida mentioned, but which I think is very difficult to establish when you're the last person to join the team and the right and sort of like and the creation of the game is mostly done already. It's like good writing usually is there from the beginning and it gives you the sense that sort of everything that happened was planned all along by somebody. Who knew what they were doing, and wasn't just kind of made up as you were going along, and um, that is the uh, the real clincher, I think. When you when you have beautiful visuals, and when you have an interesting plot for the game, and when you have sort of like interesting controls for the player, and that they get that they get to do so they get to do, you know, stuff that holds their attention. Like I think that's the thing that makes the game really flow and really feel like a finished piece of art in of itself and i think that i understand why writing is because it is the most fluid sort of ingredient in uh, in creating a game i understand why it tends to go in last and be used as sort of like a binding agent but i do think that when it's there from the beginning and um it does give a game that sense of completeness and uh, and sort of uh, and cohesion and i think that's very valuable, and I think it adds a layer of polish to a game that makes it look, well, it gives it a sense of professionalism, you know, which is always good. And I think it, um, the, the player can sense it too. The player can tell that they're they're handling something, you know, um, that's well made, and I think they're more likely to buy more games off you if you have good writing in the first one that they play.
3: I think uh, something that's really interesting as well is that when, when you say game writing, I think a lot of people assume just uh the dialogue and the cut scenes and the way people talk but writing is you know in the way a character moves if you can create a personality for a game designer to base their art on then that could have a massive impact on a game so yeah like some of some of my i think something that's really interesting is mobile gaming because mobile gaming there isn't really room to have a whole you know narrative and cut scenes you've got to get to the point quickly but at the same time the best games are those that still kind of have story like one that comes to mind is uh monument valley by us two games i don't know if you guys have played that there's there isn't you know there's a backstory, but it's never really um there isn't like lords of exposition dumped on you at the beginning you just introduced to this character like this gorgeous artist like the art design on that game is amazing and you play through each very then not simple levels but the, the art is in the Um, level design as opposed to the story design and yet each each level feels like you are completing a chapter of a story and the tiny amount of dialogue that is in it is very economic in that it conveys a lot of character and a lot of storytelling in just a few sentences the the I think the story in that is really conveyed through the art, the colours, the movement of the characters, the movement of the screen. It's just very graceful and very, um, and yeah, just in the way that the, you can play around on the screen, just touching the screen is uh, it's great. It's a great example of, of how economic writing is still important and can colour a story, but isn't you know, necessarily the domineering factor of a, of a project.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's really interesting what you're saying that just because you're the writer doesn't mean you have to write words for you to be contributing to sort of a narrative or a story. When I've tried to do games in the past, it's not always just about what's being said. Sometimes it's about what's not being said. Sometimes it's about what is actually decorating the room. You could learn a a lot about somebody just by looking at somebody's room. You know, you don't even have to have any words to describe it. You could just see it. I mean, You know, the old trope is the skeleton's on the floor. It's like, oh, someone must have died here, which is probably a little bit overdone nowadays. But even something as fundamental as the locations, you know, where does this game take place? Are you, you know, in some floating cloud? Like, you know, in Sonic, this is like a floating island, you know? Is it that? Are you fighting inside the middle of a volcano? Um, There is so, so much that you could do, even with something as simple as location, but often like you said the writers they're brought in you know towards the end maybe right at the end and they just kind of have to shoehorn whatever they can in They they don't have they have a really tough job, plus them um and you know locations you might have thought why did you put it here why are we fighting in the clouds this is rubbish <laughs> what I'm trying to say is I feel like writers can really inform gameplay decisions a lot of the time but they're often not really given the chance because they're not there or they're not part of those discussions when really just delegating writing work to the writers is kind of a waste of your talent really so um, I definitely think that's um, you know, a really valid point there
4: Yeah it's an interesting point that you made about sort of like um, how uh, the uh, almost non-verbal communication that writing can do when you're working through settings or characters can be valuable I actually did work on a narrative game a little while ago and I was given the opportunity to do that and uh, it was incredibly freeing to be able to sort of like um, communicate big parts of sort of um, of the background of the world that you were in without having to write anything down. And because um, it, it, was I say, it was a narrative game, and I was asked to do something science fiction, and I was given otherwise completely free reign to decide what I wanted to do. So I decided to set the um, to set the story on a floating army base that had been converted into a nunnery like that was inhabited by lizard nuns who were in orbit around a dead planet and they kept (laughs) cannibalizing people like and i thought okay i'm going to go as out there as i can since you're letting me do whatever i want and um it was really it was great i was basically directing what the art was going to look like i was able to if you, if you met some NPCs, they would describe how the nuns were kind of stripping the, uh, the iron and the copper wiring off the walls because they wanted to power their generator and they were running out of fuel. I th- you know It really added something to the game and I was grateful for the opportunity to be brought on at that very early stage rather than coming in much later when I wouldn't have had anything like the freedom to come up with all this stuff. Um, and it's um, but yeah like i discovered if if the people are looking to get into game writing i discovered their call for um, submissions it was listed on a facebook group called game Writer. i think it's just called game writers and game writing like there's just a few with it with names like that and there's and you know and there's good opportunities that are put on there for people who are looking to get into into the industry and the, and um, the call for submissions that uh, Tao put up, um, they weren't looking for people with masses of experience. You just had to have written at least one game, and I had at that point. But yeah, um, but a lot of people. If, if, um, that is a trouble with uh, getting um, into into game writing. It's difficult to get the experience. Um, because, they, because most places only hire people with experience, but uh, what, what Tao told me, and I did ask them about this, um, they said that sort of writing things in Twine was a very good place to get started. Uh, and Twine, for people who don't know, is basically um, a web-based choose your own adventure game creator. So it's like you write the text and you can put it on Twine and you can basically create a, a choose your own adventure game with just text. And that's not a million miles from the stuff that uh, that the narrative game company were asking me to do. But uh, yeah, but that, that's uh, but there's some but there's some uh, there are some good avenues into game writing though. I think it is something that you kind of fall into rather than sort of like that. Um, I think most people don't plan to go into game writing. That's the impression I've got from people I've talked to who do it because it's just such a frankly it's just such a new industry. It wasn't a thing. You know, a few decades ago,
3: there's actually um, social media seems to be the place to go now to get your um, job opportunities. I saw the, uh, the I follow the guys who who made Monument Valley on Twitter as two games, and they were literally just like, "Oh, hey, does anyone does any writer want to work on our next game?" Like just throwing it out there, and of course they got you know thousands of replies. But yeah, I think Facebook and Twitter are actually really good tools for trying to get some opportunities. In,
0: yeah, I think uh, Twine is one that's recommended a lot for people as well. Even if they don't know any game design and they just want to start making games as well uh, because it doesn't really require much coding experience and stuff, right?
3: It is very word based, so if you're if you're a more traditional writer, that's quite a good way of um, segueing into game writing, I think, because you can make really descriptive scenes, and it's all about the the wording and um, it's you know interactive. I would call it interactive fiction more than a traditional game. But um, yeah, great place to start, I think.
0: It was an interesting point made by Hannah earlier about, like, I guess the way I interpreted it was, like, player imagination is pretty important. Um, Where well, you don't have to literally write things down sometimes, but the player can infer things, like the copper wire thing, the example you had earlier. But are there, like, certain techniques that you use then when you're writing or certain thought processes you have when you are writing for a game,
4: um, yeah, it's um, I've definitely learned that um, sort of leaving space for the player's imagination um, makes for a much better game than sort of uh, spoon feeding them everything they need to know would, uh, and that's something that uh, I've kind of picked up as I've um, as I've been doing the, Anach- the Anachronist project. Um, but I've also figured out recently, hang on a second, this, this absolutely holds true in every other type of writing like that you can do. Like It's in fiction, it's in screenwriting. like. And eventually I realized, hey, I can just apply the skills that I already have and the way I already know how to do this and I can get just as good a result. So uh, I've taken to doing that. Um, one of the things that I do particularly, um, that I've adapted from my fiction writing to my game writing is... Um, uh, when I'm crafting a character, like some of my characters, like they have quite um, troubled backstories or they have dark secrets, um, and I don't really want ju- want them to just kind of blurt out their dark secret um, to the player when you when the player talks to them. Just because there's no, you, just because they want to have that information. I find it quite fun to kind of like hide sort of shards of the secret, like little hints at it in different places around the game. So instead of talking to this one guy, you can talk to four people who will, who will all know part of the story. Like, and maybe they'll drip feed you just one new piece of information, but you'll never get the whole story from anyone. And an interested, diligent player will be able to put all that information together towards the end. Like, ah, so the person he killed was his mother, and he buried her in a shoebox under the sea, or something. I don't know. Like, um, you'll never get any one piece of information from the same, uh, from the same two characters, and the a, and a smart player will put it together. What they say when you write a novel, um, or a piece of long fiction, uh, or even or nonfiction, even like um, the, one of the best methods you can use to open your story is by making sure there's at least one mystery in your main paragraph. Like there's one big question that the, the reader wants to see answered um, and that will make them read on. And, um, and I think the same is more or less true in games writing. It's kind of like you can plant that question as early as possible in the game, whether that be in the actual writing or just in the situation that you write for the character and um then you can put the information in somewhere completely somewhere completely different and the player has to go and find it and i think that i think it carries over very nicely
3: um and just a question like about your writing because yeah uh, i don't think we've ever actually spoken about it you know just j- writing in general would you mm-hmm. start with so when i write i start with a character more so than a location or a i find it hard to start with a theme i start mm-hmm. with a character first and then i end up applying a theme after I've got a few characters and I've kind of mm. dropped them in a situation that kind of highlights their flaws or strengths. What do, what's your what's your what's your technique? What's your tech? As why would you normally do it?
4: Well, I'm actually the opposite, and that's not good. No, are you opinion. really the opposite? I didn't know I that. Am, no, I am very. I'm a very plot-heavy writer, and I'm a very theme-loving writer, and it's the thing is that's not a good way to be in my opinion starting with a character is much better because people read the story for the characters they don't read it really for the plot as much um in my in my experience and the ten and and the, the, the reason that it's not good to lead with a plot and put the characters in later is because you will be tempted to put in the kind of character who will serve that plot and it's and honestly, it's more interesting if you put the kind of character in the story who is the absolute worst person to be dealing with the problem you've created. <laughs> like, you know, who is absolutely um, completely out of their depth and has no idea what they're doing. And, um, and that makes it way more interesting to see them try and solve the problem. Um, I do start with a plot. What I normally do is I write down all the cool ideas that I possibly can um, on a document in my computer. And then I start assembling them into some kind of order and I write an outline that way. So basically stories that I write are just kind of like a sequence of just cool random things happening that I think are interesting. And then I kind of make them into kind of, into something that makes sense when you put them in order. So I, I can't really write without an outline. I'm very, very dependent on my outline. And then I populate it with characters and I study the whole thing from sort of like a big picture perspective and I work out what the themes are going to be because it's easier to write a story and put the themes in first than it is to try and add them on later. And, um, and then I try and write it from beginning to end, but sometimes I get just more excited about certain scenes that I want to do and I just skip ahead and do them first. So, yeah, um, I have more luck with uh, short things than long things um, because of that, really, because I get excited and want to skip ahead. And it's kind of, you don't have to skip very far in short stories. So, uh, so yeah, that's roughly how I do it. And that's, um, it's actually not really how I wrote Anachronist, just because of the nature of um, of the project. Um,
3: yeah, I was going to ask, because Anachronist, to me, Seems very character based, just because the name of the game is the name of the you know main character.
4: It's funny, so actually. Asking. Yeah, it is funny actually because um, well, it was meant to be a much smaller scale game than it turned out to be. Um, <laughs> All
3: Dan's was... fault, I imagine. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>
4: well, we tackled it as if it was going to be a small game rather than a big game. So basically, what we did is every week. I would be given a character, essentially, like um, most of them are kind of archetypical characters that you'd have in like a medieval fantasy setting, but with some kind of twist on them. Um, So one one week I I, I, I had to write dialogue for a witch, and then then the next week I had to write dialogue for um, just a merchant, and then the next week I had to write dialogue for a noblewoman. And it was supposed to be like that, like each person sort of like had a quest for the main character and if the main character completed the quest, they were rewarded with a skill. And um, it was supposed to go like that. But like because the game showed a lot of promise and and I, and I, I do, I think Dan's instinct was correct, really. Um, he realized that we could expand it into something a little bit more three-dimensional. It turned into a much more narrative uh, game and now there is like a story arc like they would be in a novel like uh now the main characters are more fleshed out and more and sort of like and they do change over the course of the story and uh i think it was really cool that we got to do that
3: see that's really interesting actually because that's like um you've ended up doing the traditional game thing where even though you were at the beginning you've kind of ended up altering how the story has ended up on the characters to fit with the altered gameplay which i think is quite cool and you've you've gone against your your normal writing style in that you've ended up doing characters most of the narrative first so you've that's what it sounds like you're saying anyway so you ended up with like personalities of people before you know the overarching uh story that would carry them all and make them all join together
0: so just posing another question to you it's like you know what questions do you ask yourself then when you're building these fun you know fantasy worlds or different worlds like from a player perspective like being empathetic with their needs but also telling a compelling story what thought processes do you go through and ask yourself
3: i would start with characters so like normal fiction mm-hmm. i would start with character and it doesn't matter what the genre is and most of the time it doesn't matter what the game mechanic is you can have a character with no dialogue, but if in the writing of every, like, like the, okay, say if we are talking about dialogue, you can create a character that the, that the game, the gamer wants to carry on playing with because they've made that connection. And then everything around the world, it can be as um, fantastical, or unbelievable as you want. But as long as you believe in the character, I feel like you can get away with a lot. Uh,
4: yeah, I would be inclined to agree with Emily, especially knowing the sort of uh, the stuff that she's written, it's sort of like it is, um, I kind of get the feeling, Emily, that you kind of construct your world around the character. So sort of like, because the character is the pair of eyes that we kind of see the world through, it's kind of like um, everything we see kind of starts from their experience. And And I suppose with world building, you'd have to infer stuff Sort of like infer the stuff that's going on outside that character's viewpoint from what you can actually see. Is that about right?
3: Yeah so um i i tend not to i don't really do fantasy because to me it's like huge like i like you can start with the characters but then it, i feel like it gets out of hand and i'm just not prepared for that yet like i i don't know how people write like skyrim and games like that because that's crazy even pokemon like I, i've been playing pokemon on the switch with my friend and it's literally like each city kind of has its own character and each character within the city has its own character and they've only got a couple of lines of dialogue and i'm just blown away by that that's cr- incredible detail but yeah so I I, I tend to I tend to f- find a way of I, I find a character that I think is cool I won't lie. my main criteria is is this person cool number one do I want to play as this person do I want to kick ass in a world as this person Or will read what this person you know gets up to in a screenplay and watch it I, I actually have a very visual style which is why I've kind of ended up in getting into screenwriting and maybe a little bit of video game writing. Whereas Han, I think you're more like novel based, like originally anyway. So, yeah, I I tend to go character. What's going to what are their flaws? What are their strengths and then what kind of environment would exaggerate these enough that they're visible to an audience, if that makes sense. So, like, Uncharted. So, basically, my favourite games, nine times out of ten, are made by Naughty Dog because they just have a way of making games that are cinematic and feel like you're watching a movie, but it's like a 12-hour movie and you love every character. And it doesn't matter, you know, there's a reason there's four Uncharted games, five technically, but four with Nathan Drake because you can plop him into any situation and you love it because the dynamic with he's a great character and then you've got Sully and then you've got his brother in the later game and you've got Eleanor they're all such great characters in themselves you can put them anywhere and make anything believable I mean if you think about it the first Uncharted game had zombies and then by the fourth it's just you know ancient pirates which is a bit more believable but it doesn't matter because even within the same franchise you forget that because you just love the characters so much and you love just driving around killing bad guys with them so yeah I think if you nail character you can get away with a lot I would say
2: I think it's a really interesting technique that you talk about where you say you take your character and then you put them in, you know, almost the worst possible situation that they could fall in. Or you kind of, it's really interesting because it's like you, you drive headfirst into the conflict, which is <laughs> what, you know, people tend to avoid doing. <laughs> so it's, it's a really interesting, you know, methodology that you take someone and then you sort of put them in a pressure cooker and then you watch what happens. Um, it's quite sadistic, really, but. <laughs> That's like, that's the point of like, you know, very, especially like dramatic um, writing It's something that I personally would never have thought of. Um, I watched when I was sort of, when I realized this project was going to be bigger than I thought it would. I was like, you know, I'm going to watch a ton of videos. So I, I must have watched about five, six hours in a row (laughs) of script writers talking about like how they work and what they do. And it was really interesting to sort of hear the methods that they come up with. I read in... Well, one of the videos mentioned that whenever you have characters, they if you have two characters that are having a scene together, when they leave the scene, their dynamic or their relationship should have changed in some way. Otherwise that scene was completely pointless to have there. So I think that's you know, if you're if you're taking writing from a sort of scene by scene basis, maybe, you know, based on cutscenes like we did Emily, we had a series of cutscenes and that was very much here's your story enjoy your story and then we're back to gameplay which i realize not every single game is you know with uh, with games that are more sort of narrative heavy there might be you know a ton of tiny conversations and they all have a little bit of an influence but not a big one um that was mainly in the realm of script writing and it was a good way to sort of cut out any dead weight um but i thought that was a really interesting tip
3: if you if you if you think of story as character development which it 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 always should be then i find it you end up most of the time ended up with a good story even if you uh go off the rails a little bit if you try and make sure that each scene your character experiences something that either i mean you can change their worldview or reinforce their worldview and change it a later date as long as they've they've had something happen to them in the scene so basically each scene there is a, a mini conflict so two people come into a scene and something happens and something happens between them and you just keep doing that for each scene that you that you've done until the last conflict is kind of juxtaposed with the first conflict. My advice would be try not to get bogged down too much in world building at the beginning. If like if you're trying to if you're going big and you want a big game, nail your character arcs, nail the relationships, and then sort of you know, you can have crazy situations, but they have to be with emotions and themes that are everyday so tiny conflicts that are realistic but then you know add a bit of magic like Hanwood or some lizard nuns like hannah would, and uh <laughs> see what happens it's I, that's, that's yeah that's usually that serves me well i think
4: um we've, we've focused mainly on sort of like where the world building should come from and sort of like um how best to fit it around the other elements. But when it comes to actual world building techniques, then um, like there are some really good writers who are worth studying, I think, in their skill with that sort of thing. And my fa- my favorite I'm Emily probably knows who I'm gonna bring up, but my favorite example is Terry Pratchett.
2: Um, <laughs>
4: because he Classic. he yeah he loved research like he i'm fairly sure sometimes he only wrote fiction just because it was a good excuse to do research and like um and because he was a fantasy science fiction writer um he really loved sort of like reading um history and mythology and then finding interesting new ways to intersect it with sort of like the fantastical worlds that he created um
3: so terry pratchett's like the king of world building basically oh yeah oh hell yeah but so so his characters are in depth. But I think most people remember him for the fact that Discworld is, you know, a crazy world building. So I guess if if your strengths lie more in just going crazy elaborate environmental wise, you can maybe gear your writing towards games that are more third person or first person based, because it tends to be the the case that third person games you're playing as a character and you're introduced that character. And you know their relationships, the relationships to other characters in the games, and they have a you know they have a goal. Whereas you know like uh, th- uh, first person shooters tend to just dump the expo- exposition on you at the beginning, and then you play as them in this world that you've been handed on a plate. But you can you know explore that world with uh, with little, little like you know Easter eggs and like uh, a lot of games have like little things you can find like notes and stuff like that. But you're you're basically just you're in this shell, and you've like, you know, you're a you're a surrogate person, and you just play as a, as a, you know, like a as a baseline, as a baseline, just nobody, <laughs> but the world is exciting around you.
2: It's really interesting how you're like contrasting, you know, world building versus characters. I um, I read a, a game design book by Scott Rogers called Level Up. And in it, he talks about the triangle of weirdness. And he says, you have to pick your weird, and you can only have one. And he says, you can either have weird characters, weird activities, or the weird world. And he says, the weird characters example he gives is Wizard of Oz. Um, the weird world that he gives is Star Wars. And the weird activities he gives is Monty Python and the Holy Grail, if we're using film examples. So his thinking is, you got you shouldn't be too weird because you'll completely alienate your audiences and he says you should have one of those things that are weird as a maximum and you shouldn't you know you shouldn't ever go beyond just one of them You shouldn't do two and you absolutely should not do three i don't know what i think about that i mean would you agree would you think that's too weird or do you think you can only have a weird world or weird characters or weird activities
4: See, my instinct when you say something like that is to immediately try and come up with something that would be at least two of those things, and preferably all three. I'm actually struggling to do that, funnily enough. I think, um, well, the thing about weirdness is it's supposed to be, it's supposed to contrast with something more familiar, and that's, that's what accentuates its weirdness. So I can kind of see where uh, where this guy is coming from when he says pick one, because if everything is weird, then there is no baseline to um, truly appreciate the weirdness from, I think. So I get that.
3: I think it'd be really hard to pull off that in a game if you had too much weird going on, because you got to make sure that the, the player's attention is you know not wondering if i came across a game and it the character i was playing was weird everything around me was weird and i the hell's going on Mm. i'd quit within about 10 minutes that would annoy me yeah
2: have you played accounting or seen accounting no no what's that um it's by the makers of rick and morty and it's a um yeah it's a virtual reality experience and It's just like a series of really weird sketches that you're in the middle of. <laughs> it's probably the weirdest game I can think of. Maybe that violates more than one. But, um... See,
3: that's, that's interesting though, because you've kind of got the base of Rick and Morty to go in into that, I imagine. like I, I think very few people would play that if they hadn't watched Rick and Morty, and Rick and Morty is weird to the extreme. So maybe that would give you a bit of background so you don't get sick of it so quickly. Yeah. You have to be very I think you have to be established in your weirdness before you can risk it. If you went straight in with weird as a designer, as a as a as a game writer, people would be, have very little time for you, I think. It'd be annoyed yeah. at you
2: very quickly. I'd probably agree with that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Wait, accounting was written by Quose, Close, Quose, wasn't it? And, and Are you talking about the VR experience?
2: Yeah, the about, VR one.
0: Yeah. I did I didn't know they did Rick and Morty as well
2: no it's sorry it's not rick and morty inspired but i think it has some of the same voice acting as the person who is in oh, the co-writer also plays uh morty and i think that's the guy who does the voicing and he's the writer also on the project so it's not rick and morty inspired oh, gotcha. but i gotcha i think because they knew who it was he maybe got a benefit of the doubt and he played the game it is It's really surreal and bizarre. It's an experience. I can't really describe it. um, I would probably say that violates the double weird rule. That's the only one that comes to mind.
0: Yeah, the developers of that game, was it William P U G H. sorry if I said that wrong, Um, but he created like the Stanley Parable, for example. Um, And I think that's a really interesting example of how narrative writing can be like subverted in how we expect it to be written. Um, I don't know if you guys have played that game, but it's a really good one with the narrator kind of messing with your head and...
2: I think it's genius. I love the Stanley Parable.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I know he did a talk in it as well, like writing um, good games like that. But yeah, I think, you know, sometimes, like you were saying, Emily, it's not always about just being linear. Sometimes it's going down different routes and seeing what you can do.
3: Yeah, I was actually going to ask, what, what, what are your favourite games, because I like, I like seeing from perspective of someone who isn't obsessed with every you know character decision and every narrative you know the curse that hannah and i have is that everything we watch and everything we read we analyze over and over again that's the curse of an english degree Mm -hmm. so i was curious to know what it's like just as a normal human to play to play a game and how how the story you know impacts you whether it's you know just a crazy world or whether it's a narrative that you you're engaged with
1: So nowadays I tend to be a kind of kleptomaniac in games. I kind of got ruined by a bunch of games um, with kind of upgrading stuff and crafting and all that. But I do tend to watch a lot of the uh, narrative games on YouTube um, just because I don't tend to play them myself. And I think a lot of times like what stands out to me is certain characters rather than, like, overall stories, things like that. I'm a very kind of character-driven person. Um, so things things like uh, May from Night in the Woods and even Greg, um, Sans from Undertale, kind of characters that you kind of get to know and have a lot of growth. Um, I think those are the characters that I find kind of the coolest and the stories I find the most interesting.
0: Yeah, I think if I were just to give a list of narrative favourites, I think just Telltale's games are some of my favourites. Frictional games, so the stuff they've done with Soma and Amnesia. Yeah, I, I just like it when there's like multifaceted characters oh. and lots of characters, and you as a player have a lot of, I don't want to say control, but like agency in driving the story, or at least feeling like you have agency.
2: Have, have any of you played Magica? In Magicka. <laughs> It's, it's, the, the writing is just really funny. It's a, a one to four player co-op game and it opens with one to four adventurers began their journey. <laughs> and it just, it completely takes the mick out of itself and the format by, you know, you just know it's, it's written for a game. So I think it does it very cleverly and it's very humorous writing. Journey is another one, which, um, you know, the story is really, it can really touch a lot of people, even though it's mostly non-verbal. I don't believe there is any dialogue within the game, but it can, you know, it can still make moments that are really moving. Those are the games that I enjoyed.
0: I think, Dan, do you have any final tips or anyone else?
4: I've got, well, I've got um, a soundbitey one. Just concision in general is just your best friend. And that holds true across most types of writing, but I think game writing is particularly unforgiving of waffling on too long, and um, trying to say too much in one scene, or just not knowing what to cut, because it's kind of like, because the poor player has to sit through your dribble, if like if you don't know where to stop, then you just keep going. And um, I feel like people, people will have more patience in other kinds of media but in this one particularly because it is so active and because it requires the player to kind of contribute to the narrative i think it annoys people all the more if having to sit through something that something overwritten so i still i think that boils down to basically cut everything out of your script if you don't need it or if it adds nothing because uh you are making the player hate you if you over if you overwrite
3: show don't tell foundation of pretty much every film and TV show you've ever seen if you can show it through a character's action do that instead of them saying what they feel exposition uh, exposition is the weight that drowns good films if there's too much of it you can have a little bit but don't go overboard um, character is action show your character through what they do and how they react to things don't you know have somebody like a friend of theirs go oh he's a great guy show that he's a great guy you know like you know show that through what he does with other characters and um yeah be be economic in your in your dialogue don't be afraid to to kill your darlings because as hard as it is when you've written something that you love you have to think of it as somebody who is playing a game first and foremost. As, as much as as much as much writers tend to love the idea that their story is so amazing, you have to really think, is this helping the game? It's, it's kind you know, you have to think like that when you're writing a film or anything else, but game-wise, mechanics, art, story, they're all at the same level. They all interweave, they're all as important as each other. So don't think just because you've come on and you've got, you know, a degree in English, that doesn't mean anything. You're the same as everyone else. Don't think just because you've got, you know, a character and you've come up with the title of the game that you're, you know, the big the big guns. Because in the grand scheme of things, people are playing a game for the fun of playing the game. And your character development and your story is just like a little peppering that might enhance it if you're any good and might ruin it if you're, if you're not. So don't be cocky.
2: <laughs> I can totally relate to the... Killing Your Darlings, I refer to it as chopping off limbs. When you're like, oh, I just wrote this beautiful story and it's so long, it took me so long to write. But um, (laughs) if it needs to go, it needs to go. It can be hard to recognize, but I think it's super important to recognize. I agree with Hannah's point as well, that you have to cater to players who love stories, but you also have to cater to players who hate stories. There's like this ongoing debate about whether cutscenes should be skippable and players seem to hate it when you have cutscenes that are unskippable and yet they still pop up everywhere they're everywhere and I think it's like this battle between we need you to watch the story you have to watch this part uh and you know the people who are just smashing their buttons like come on next 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 so <laughs> i think it is it's it's difficult um it's a difficult one to balance and I think that's why you know audio logs and letters that you can find all these sort of like written pieces of um you know sometimes it's a journal or a diary or a letter you can find them you can read them if you want or you can completely skip over it if you don't even see it it doesn't really matter um I think it's nice to be able to cater to both of those and if somebody's not interested in the story they'll pick it up and they'll put it straight back down and if they are then it gives them something that they can enjoy and invest in so I think that is something that is like particularly um, important for the media of games. And I do agree, Hannah, I think they can, gamers can be very, very impatient, like you said, because it's such an active medium. Having to sit and have story delivered to you can be, yeah, it can be pretty uh, frustrating in the wrong setting my final tip would probably be just write. This is one of those that come from that long series of videos as well. But um, sometimes if, you, if you've got writer's block and you're like, oh, I need to write something and I, it's just nothing's coming out, you just have to write. Even if it's rubbish, just spew something out. And then eventually within that, there might be a couple of nuggets that you're like, actually, I really like that line. This line's really good. I like the way that this person moves here. And then from your 50 lines that you wrote, maybe there are three. But you've got three, which is a lot better than, you know, having zero, which you started with. So I think just sort of pluck them out. And one tip in particular, if you're writing something maybe a little bit more prose based, is to start with dialogue. If you're really struggling to get a scene going, then start with the dialogue. And then once you've got the dialogue down, start to fill in the extra details.
3: Yeah, I'd say get up, act it out. If If you can picture it, but you can't write it down in words, just run around your living room pretending to be all the characters. I so I do well. I'm not ashamed to admit. It. I've jumped off sofas, pretending to do things. It's the best way to get into the mind of your of like the people that you're trying to write about, and yeah, it helps. I think it helps you get into the mindset of carrying on because you you're enjoying it. You're just a kid again. So yeah. Also, um, is it called free writing? Han, you know when you just write gobbledygook and see what happens?
4: Yes. Uh yeah, that's free writing.
3: Yeah. So you just you just get a sheet of paper and. You don't know where you're starting. You just, you just go blah, 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 blah. You can write blah, blah, blah. You can write anything. You just write any words, whatever you think, and you just carry on writing. You don't stop. You just keep going and going and going. And maybe you set yourself a time limit of like time limit of like five minutes, one minute, 30 seconds. And then after you finish that, you look at what you've written. And like Dan said, you pluck a few things out if they're any good or you just scrap it if it's rubbish and you just keep going. It's just a great way of getting all the, the clutter out. It's a great way of focusing your brain when it doesn't really want to work for you
0: that's a really interesting point and i think that kind of leads on to my final question of you know when you're working in teams what is something you wish developers need or considered when working with a
4: writer well for myself and i um i think this is particularly because video game writing isn't my normal medium and i don't have as much experience it's like i think the thing that i want from a developer is um a lot of i wish they kind of knew how much open communication about what is possible can do for me because um i had that thought a lot the more i got used to the medium when i was writing games and um as i was starting to realize the potential of what I could do when i was able to combine writing with other forms of media to create this product and i started asking dan a lot more can we do this like is it possible to arrange that and um and it it did widen my horizons a lot when it came to sort of creating the game that we've been working on recently and now we have um a um a, a much more interesting product i think now that i've been able to explore options that aren't just kind of like the progression of a narrative Sort of like, what, the, what we can make the code accomplish, that kind of thing. Um, so I think those kinds of conversations, I think especially if the developer initiates them, they can be very helpful because as a writer who's new to the medium, you often don't know what you don't know. And um, it, can, uh, it can be helpful to create some, uh, some more interesting products, I think.
3: It's always great when you get together with a developer for the first time and you draw the box for each other before you start thinking outside it, if you know what I mean. So you go, this is what we can achieve because writers are an imaginative crazy bunch. That's not to say other people are as well, but aren't as well, but writers, (laughs) I think Han will agree, just crazy. You have to rein us in a little bit, otherwise we get a bit too excited. So we tend to benefit when someone lays out a plan in front of us and goes, "Look, this is what we can achieve. This is what this is the mechanics of what we can do." So don't give us like, you know, floating castles because we don't know how the hell we're going to make that into the game. Don't give us this. Don't give us that. This is what we can do. These are this is how this works, and then it's much easier to put the jigsaw together. But then, on on top of that, I think i think writers can maybe sometimes inspire developers to try something that they didn't know they could do like they can maybe have an idea and then a developer like well maybe we can explore that so i think communication is basically the the foundation of any good collaboration explore it together but don't be annoyed if if what you want isn't possible because there are limits to 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 the thing you're creating together but that doesn't mean that it's going to be great if you work really well together and and listen to each other
2: I think it's important so also let your team intercommunicate for example in the in the game that um we worked on um the endings all had to be illustrated with um some background image that was created especially for the project as well and um Hannah did the writing for all of these scenes and then it was my job to go to the artists and say can you draw this please except i didn't even know what it looked like because i hadn't written it and it's fine for me to read it and have a look at it and say okay well i think this is here and i think that's there but it's quite another to actually see from you know the eyes of the writer what they are actually envisioning and so when i when i spoke to hannah i said when when you've also finished writing these these little stories as they were um i can you also put um a note to the artist that says, we'd love to have this here, this here, this person standing here, and these posed like this. There was a lot of to and fro, and it wasn't just you do the writing, you do the art, um, stay in separate rooms. So definitely let your team communicate with each other.
0: Does anyone have any final tips or techniques that they'd like the listeners to know about writing in games?
1: Yeah, I think one of the only things I haven't really heard covered is... um... I remember seeing in some voice actors kind of talks about how if you're conveying character, like the speed of um, someone's uh, speech can convey a lot. I think everyone remembers like the DMV scene with the sloths in, uh, I can't even remember what movie that was in. Um, Zootopia. Zootopia, yeah. And yeah, just little things about the way people talk can convey a lot. Um, it's just something I see a lot, especially in text games, where like text always scrolls at the same speed, and it's. I think maybe with with some text-based games, there's not enough questioning about like, well, what could we do with this interface? That's more than just presenting the script verbatim, sort of thing. Because I, I I've even seen some games like they'll jumble up characters or like if a characters, quite unhinged or something, you you actually see like the text start to, kind of reflect that. I think there's a lot of, of clash over with technology meets uh, script writing or character writing that hasn't necessarily found its way into the medium yet.
2: Yeah, I mean, you remind me of Undertale with your example. Like The fonts that are used are meant to be specific to the character. Mm. So there are lots of ways to display character, even through this, you know the weirdest format of the font.
4: This is something that you actually do see in other media. So I think it's a question of video games catching up. Rather than reinventing the wheel, like and when I'm thinking of graphic novels, sort of like with the speech bubbles. A lot of the time, they will take um, a good artist will tailor the speech bubbles and the font and the colors to a, partic- to a particular character. I'm actually reading the Sandman series by Neil Gaiman at the moment, um, and he has a character who is essentially the embodiment of insanity, and her speech bubbles are always really brightly, randomly colored and the lines of text are all really wibbly-wobbly and they go kind of everywhere and it can be a difficult to follow lines. And his main character, who is like a very dour uh, individual and he's kind of like the anthropomorphic personification of, well, basically of, uh, of sleep, he's the Sandman. Like, his speech bubbles are always pitch black with kind of like spiny white writing inside. I can't not bring up Terry Pratchett again, he does this a lot. Um, in his uh, in his novels, like he actually likes changing the fonts um, uh, that he writes in to indicate what accent the character is speaking in, or like if they're a human or a non-human, and that sort of thing. Video games have so much latitude to play with, you know, because they're a much more I don't want to say a three dimensional medium. But there's just so much more potential in the way they can convey information, even just through sort of like how text scrolls that, that like media on paper just can't compete with. So it'll be cool to see sort of what the industry does when it catches up with these older media.
3: Yeah, I think um, that would be my tip: is just don't be afraid of technology. We're in the age now of VR, and that's going to blow up in the next couple of years. I can you know you can already sense how great that's going to be for the gaming industry and how much is going to change and i think that's going to create a lot of opportunities for writers to get involved with the, the the game industry
0: great um so just to wrap things up usually we ask a question at the end asking everyone to pitch something and today's theme is pitch a story you'd love to see um so does anyone have any ideas of any games or narratives that they'd like to see in games?
4: I've got a fun little one that me and a friend came up with several years ago now. Um, we, we decided to call it Kill Everything. And it's the story of a homicidal child who is in love with a bottle of bleach. And um, the adults confiscate his bottle of bleach and he gets very angry. And he tries to murder all the adults who get in between him and his bottle of bleach. So your goal is to basically kill everybody until you're able to um, break your bottle of bleach out of the cabinet where it's been locked. And then you use the bleach to uh, kill all the microorganisms and plants that are in your immediate environment as well. So so that's why the game is called Kill Everything. I'm not sure what this says about us as people.
3: But... Um, (laughs) I want to introduce you to destroy all humans and destroy oh, yeah. all humans too. <laughs> Where you're an alien and you just blow up cities for fun because you hate humans. Oh, that does sound fun. <laughs> Very therapeutic. Uh, I want to. I want to play a game from a villain's perspective. I don't know. Maybe if if I'm not really looking hard enough, but I my favorite films, my favorite books are always from the bad guy's side, and uh, I just think that'd be wicked. Like I don't know, like uh, like a serial killer. Like I know, is it? Um, Dead by Daylight. You, it's on the multiplayer game, you get to be the serial killer and you have to like, catch the other people and kill them. I would, I'd love to play a game where it's the, it's a story and you have to try and get away with crimes and it's like a thriller kind of, kind of thing. I think that'd be wicked. I'd love
2: that. Um... My concept was not quite as dark or silly. <laughs> <as this. laughs>
3: we both feel like death. We oh, want yeah. to stab things. See, this is what writers are really like. People don't know how dark we are. We write about dark things because we know we can't do it in real life. That's why we all become writers.
4: Mm, well, yeah, well, killing fictional people ends up with less arrests. So
3: it's killing our darlings of, is, yeah. is easier <laughs> to get away with.
2: <laughs> oh dear me. Anyway, mine was a lot nicer. I thought it'd be nice to explore sort of the dynamics between uh, mother figures and maybe also like grandmas or, you know, uh, older women, because they're not really featured in games very much. When they released Anna on Overwatch, I was like, holy crap, we've got like a badass grandma and I was living it. I thought it was amazing. Um, so I'd like to see, you know, more characters like that, because you always see, you know, the standard white male, 20 year old, brown hair, brown eyes, boring. It's just the same characters over and over. So I'd like to see, you know, some other stuff. I'd like to. I Yeah, I want a grandma. I want a cool grandma character. That's what I want. Totally.
3: <laughs> All right. I've changed my pitch. My my character is a grandma serial killer and you get to play it i
2: <laughs> I'm in. I'm in.
3: <laughs> I've sold one game already. Yeah, I mean, just
0: building on that, like, I'd like to see different types of relationships and games explored. I mean, romance is great, I'm sure, but like, you know, you don't get to explore like family relationships or like, yeah, friendships and stuff like that. Because um, I think those relationships are just as, or even more, as important for all of us. And I think there's so much we can explore there. And then, like, you know, having player characters from outside our, our own cultures and our own groups as well, because I feel like games are a really great medium to learn a lot about other people and putting yourself in other people choose. Um, and I wish more bigger companies would kind of take advantage of that and not be as risk averse in telling new stories. But yeah, that's my perspective.
3: I guess it's up to like writers to come up with the, with the new stories and new characters. Yeah, and I feel guys like, to actually get the funding for it as well. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> I feel like indie developers have got so much work to do. It's mm-hmm. it seems a bit unfair because they don't get any of the funding and yet they've you know, they are the ones with the great ideas. And they have to work twice as hard as like mainstream games. Like how many call of duties have there been though? Come on, we don't need any more. Come up with another concept. But then they sell the games, isn't it? That's the problem.
1: Yeah, it's actually it's funny that you mention it. I struggle a lot with writing like larger stories just because I feel especially when you've got so many ideas it's really easy to start to like add more stuff in and kind of write a story that's okay and I remember looking on Twitter like the past week and something that kept propping up was a uh, somebody had written a game where you just play as a frog detective and my immediate thoughts were like I don't even know need to know what this story is about just take my money because I will play <laughs> a game where there's a frog detective I will probably play a game where there's like a grandma serial killer So uh, yeah, maybe
3: two games sold.
1: Yeah, (laughs) maybe uh maybe less is more with the initial concept, and then go deep on on characters and and mini stories.
3: Yeah, I think um I think it's called Firewatch, but I've never played it. It's literally just you're a guy and you work in a forest trying to stop fires, and you have one other character who's also doing the same job but from a tower. So you just talk to her via a radio. And you solve, like, a little mystery. But that's, like, that's, I think that one a BAFTA. And that's literally just two characters in a wood and a little mystery. And I think, yeah, I think less is more. And I think those are, that's a great vehicle for, like, getting stories that haven't been told yet into mainstream.
1: Yeah, and I mean, yeah. even, like, longer stories. Like, you look at some of the best, like, maybe, like, Lord of the Rings and that entire universe. Mm. Trying to draft that out in your head. would probably be hard enough and then trying to pitch that to to people who are like gonna purchase whatever thing you've made would just be insane it's like there's these two uh, hobbits and they're like go off and there's all these rings and like half the first people are going like what 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 is even going on anymore there's like eagles and some wizard who turns up every
3: now and then and if you start in a game start small yeah
0: i agree i'm so I was reading. Well, I was listening to a talk by Emily Buck, who was an ex-Telltale like, dev, um, and she was talking about the Guardians of the Galaxy game. You know, we have this big, massive world. So I mean, they were lucky in the sense they had like an established IP uh, and set characters and narrative to work off. But the interesting thing was when they were making the game, they went tonally. They went through like a dark theme, so the characters were quite deep and dark. Um, And what they found, it it didn't get the same response that they expected because the movie is more, like, lightweight and more goofy, Um, which I thought was quite interesting was, like, you know, especially if you're working with established characters or expectations that players have, um, the way you mess with them or try to subvert with them or work with them is, you know, an interesting question that you've got to deal with.
3: I feel like uh, we're all going to find out how that works with Detective Pikachu when that comes out next year. <laughs> I think that's going to be amazingly different and really will either crash and burn or be the greatest thing ever.
4: Yeah, they, um, there is actually a saying about sort of like when it comes to subverting an audience's expectations and because um, audiences do get very angry when they feel like they didn't get what they signed up for. And the saying is, I, you know, um, either give them exactly what they expect or give them something better. So it's a huge gamble.
0: Great. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think that's a great note to end on. Um, I hope to those listening, got a lot out of this. Uh, Emily and Hannah, is there anywhere we can find you on the internet or the work
4: that you've done? Uh, yeah. Um, I have a website, com, and there's a contact. Page on there if anybody wants to talk to me about you know about pro- projects that they think I might be interested in um, and I'll get back to you um, as as and when I check my emails basically um, so that would be the
3: main one. Uh, I'm a complete dinosaur. I have none of those things. I have Instagram at email seventeen. If you want to see what I ate yesterday, that's about it. Really, I should really use it better, but. I love, I love Taiwanese chicken and it looks great on an Insta camera. So <laughs> that's why I'm out with that. Great. So thank you for joining
0: us. To those listening, you can find the links in our Twitter at Level Edit. Uh, this is our penultimate episode. So next week will be our last one. Uh, thank you for listening so far. Uh, and we'll see you next week.
4: Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye.